to the Let's Talk Eating Disorders podcast created by the Derbyshire Eating Disorders Service. The aim of this podcast is to provide information around eating disorders, offering hints, tips and busting myths. We will be joined by other clinicians within the service to discuss a different topic every episode. We may discuss some topics that may be upsetting or triggering to our listeners. If you feel that the topic may be difficult to listen to, feel free to skip the episode. Some episodes may involve previous service users to provide lived experiences. If you have accessed our service in the past and would like to be involved, please get in touch. We are always interested in your constructive comments or if there is a topic that you would like covering that we have not yet covered, please contact us at dhcft.eatingdisordersap at nhs.net. Welcome to the Let's Talk Eating Disorders podcast, where today we will be discussing exercise in relation to eating difficulties. Today, we have the assistant psychologists, Charlotte, one of our service users, and Michelle, our dietitian. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. So to start off with, we'd kind of like your ideas on what your experience of exercise with eating difficulties has been. So I've done sports my whole life uh, since I can remember. I've always been really sporty and to the point where I was the like the only girl doing it and I was just really passionate about it and I saw the boys playing football when I was younger and I was just like why can't I play so I ended up playing with all the boys and dragging my dad along even though he's like you sure you want to play and stuff and then uh, I played sports for a long time and then I ended up uh, playing county at cricket eventually Um, and um, exercise for me was never something that I was an unhealthy relationship or anything like that when I was young and it was I enjoyed team sports all the time um, and then it became high pressure and then um, due to my eating disorder I was hospitalized when I was uh, about 14 13 14 um, and it took me out of playing cricket for county it took me away from all these sports because obviously when you're hospital you can't um, and then I lost a lot of my muscle mass, a lot of my strength, and I was really upset and frustrated, but sport was kind of a motivation for me to get out that first time and get my strength back, and um, to the point where, I mean, my dad used to, used to, um, it's new, um, when he used to come up to visit, he used to bring a ball with him, we used to go to the park and play, um, <laughs> play cricket, but eventually they figured out, but it got my strength back, and it kept me positive and then um, I got uh, relapsed again during Covid and I was in for like a year or something like that but my unit ended up accommodating for that and actually let me when I reached a certain point play cricket in the back in the back of the unit and stuff like that to get my strength up to get myself motivated and it kind of helped me get out of that rut and made me realise I love sport and it uh, questioned whether it was a healthy relationship constantly and they were getting me to do that and I realised that sport was a positive thing for me so I'm very sporty still and I walk my dog a lot so that's kind of my relationship with exercise currently is it is keeping my strength up and keeping me socialising. I guess it's quite refreshing to hear how much of a positive relationship you've had with exercise and that it's never sort of been as that 
compensatory mechanism I guess I'd say it sounds like from your experience whereas I suppose some other service users we see which you might be able to speak a bit more about Michelle uh, they can do that really unhealthy relationship there and it can sort of spiral into that negative relationship and being used as that compensatory mechanism alongside the restriction I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that Michelle from your experience yeah I think um I think it's one of those where, again, you know, when somebody comes into the eating disorder service and as a team, we're, we're you know, trying to support them and try to get um, people back, you know, back into their normal lives is recognising kind of the, um, you know, the, the place that sport and exercise plays in people's lives. And I think there is an element of it being someone's identity or part of their identity. And I think like Charlotte certainly, you know, sounds like this that sport has being part of your you know your life from a very young age um and I suppose there are those where when somebody becomes unwell I guess it's recognizing that exercise can be more of a, a risk factor as well and I suppose seeing kind of exercise as a, a compensatory behavior um, within the eating disorder so I think it's really important that teams eating disorders teams are you know risk assessing and and looking out for how exercise is used um in somebody's life and yeah really sort of supporting that person to use it kind of appropriately but equally i think if there are those red flags and you know um that that particular person is quite risky clinically i think it is really important to put some boundaries in place as well during that treatment pathway and yeah and whether that is sort of doing some kind of graded kind of plan for somebody where whilst they trying to stabilize themselves is maybe just putting the exercise on hold at that point with a plan to reintroduce it at a later stage so it's really very much a graded approach to returning to that that exercise and doing it safely and doing it appropriately as well so it, it might even be working with somebody and, and and thinking about kind of thing activities they do enjoy moving away from the kind of more compulsive movements and more compulsive kind of activities to maybe you know as you said Charlotte you know your cricket and everything's been a real sort of social aspect as well and and maybe it is trying to steer somebody into more of like a, a social activity as opposed to doing things in isolation as well. I think team sports were really helpful for that but I've met people over the years people with eating disorders who struggled with exercise compulsive exercise and stuff like that and I know it was quite bad for them and stuff like that and it was kind of like Michelle said it was kind of like like solo things doing it by yourself so I think one of the key things is identifying I think when exercise becomes something else and I think work like doing stuff with people really helps uh, doing people like you make friends and stuff making sports into something social rather than something you're doing by yourself because otherwise your thoughts get to you and also I think realizing as well like when to stop exercising if you get unwell because if you carry on exercising when you, when you're not well like I had to stop I chose to stop when I was when I got ill and stuff like that because I didn't have the energy to do it but if you carry on even though you're tired or if you're injured and you carry on when you're tired, I think that's like a big red flag, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that from personal experience, it's a big red flag when you carry on when you're injured or 
you're not fueling yourself enough for it I think bearing in mind that you need to have more fuel in your body if you're going to exercise and I think society kind of says oh exercise is healthy and it is healthy but you've got to fuel yourself for it and you've got to bear in mind that your energy requirements are going to be a lot higher than everyone else as well if you're exercising and it's good to exercise it's good for your mental health it's good for your physical health it's just identifying at what point it becomes bad for you because if you're injured and you're working out uh, scientifically with a medical student too you actually end up breaking down your muscle rather than building it so it's identifying when that relationship becomes unhealthy and I've met athletes with eating disorders too similar to me and they had a healthy relationship with exercise however it ended up becoming unhealthy and they didn't identify at what point and they kept to tell themselves society is telling you exercise is good for you but they weren't feeling for it they were in denial to do with it I think it'd be worth thinking about as well you mentioned sort of there's times when exercise can be healthy and then turn unhealthy can you sort of give us any examples of maybe some warning signs that might be good to look out for maybe when exercise is becoming a bit unhealthy for you I think obviously if you're like actively adjusting what you're eating according to your energy levels according to how much energy you're burning or how much you're exercising so for example you do sports and stuff like that but like when you're not doing it you don't eat the same amount you need to eat the same amount every day to feel that but you need to fuel yourself to for your muscles to repair and you still need the same amount even though you're not exercising on other days um, and then also like I think doing stuff by yourself coming up with say unrealistic goals or coming up with a certain you've got to do a certain thing each day otherwise you'll be upset or um, doesn't feel right or you're doing stuff as a reward I think and then yeah socially isolating yourself also becoming weaker as well that happened to me so I noticed I couldn't actually do my sports anymore because I was too weak and I stopped but a lot of people I know didn't stop but stopping when it becomes too much for you because it's, it's okay if you're introducing it back in and maybe even introduce it too early back into your thing but you just got to learn when to say stop and then just wait a little bit longer I think yeah I think they're the key things yeah I really liked what you said about um feeling like you're doing something to earn something because I think that's quite a common experience um for people uh with anorexia with bulimia and with binge eating disorder as well that they feel like compensating with exercise as a way of earning something else to have or I can have that amount of calories because I've done this amount of exercise and I think that's quite a big warning sign isn't it really yeah I think people as well use exercise to control the body image as well if they've got a bad body image they think that it exercise can change that however I think people instead of using exercise in a way to build up their strength end up using it for other things for losing weight or to change the body and I think athletes a lot of the time there is a bit of a culture for that however it's bearing in mind that not using exercise to change your body just using exercise to perform your best if your body looks a certain way and you're performing well but you don't like your body maybe you should maybe using exercise should reflect on well my body's this way and it's performing well so 
just learning to I think exercise is quite good for like appreciating what your body does for you rather than focusing on how it looks because in the end your body allows you to do things you find fun and stuff like that but I think that's quite important yeah I think on the topic of that as well um I don't know what your guys' social media is like but my TikTok for you page is just full of gym transformations and oh my bum's gone from this small to this big and my waist gone from this to this and I think it's it's hard when like you say with the body image there like you view that and think oh so I need to do this to be like that but actually your body's completely different and I I think personally for me like going to the gym I don't want to get into that mindset of I'm doing this to change my body or to do this I am doing it for that strength so it's like you say there Charlotte like figuring out what I'm actually getting out of this that's not to do with my body in in terms of changing that image there and stuff and I think you can fall down a bit of a rabbit hole as well with the social media being like that and everyone's changing their bodies and it's changing in that respect that you probably want but knowing your body composition might be completely different and it's not going to be the way you're seeing on social media and things but there's also positive influences I've seen some really nice videos of people at gym being like this is what a real person looks like in the gym so it's nice to see both sides of it as well I think um you know it's definitely a culture thing as well isn't it and this whole like thing about perfectionism and having a perfect body and uh, and I guess you know obviously we all work in eating disorders and we're all very kind of hyper aware of sort of the negative um, messages that are displayed in social media and in, you know across the culture really and we we know that you know perfectionism striving for perfection there isn't such thing as perfection is there and um I think Charlotte your um, comment you made just about um seeing the body in terms of you know the functional purpose and how your body can deliver when you put you know you fuel it right and you know if you're fueling for performance and you you, you are sports and athletic minded um I think for those that aren't kind of identifying as like an athlete or a sports person I imagine that there's a, there's an extra challenge there of being able to um find a new motivation I suppose when um body image has become all consuming and striving for that you know what the social media will kind of define as perfect in terms of body um and I think that is a challenge um but I think a lot of the kind of work in therapy is around trying to support people with kind of body image and body ex- acceptance and things like that as well. But I mean, obviously, from my role, I'm sort of quite passionate about the physiology of the body and how amazing the body is that, you know, recovering and doing, you know, what you ask it to do. But you have to sort of put the right kind of nutrition and the right fuel in to, to help it do that and uh, I guess the main thing is enough is it enough um, fuel is it enough energy you know to support what you're asking it to do yeah so sorry I went off on a bit of a tangent there but I think yeah the, kind of my thoughts there were just around the culture and you know it maybe it's getting better you know more more awareness is out there isn't it um and I think as you um, said Megan about social media there are those positive kind of pages now profiles and you know and, and the whole awareness raising is is getting better I think from the sports side of things as well you know I guess coaches are a little bit more informed the I think there is that kind of link more with sort of medical professionals and I guess eating disorder services being able to support athletes and coaches you know um, 
when there is an eating disorder identified. So, so I think there there things are getting better, aren't they? But it's it, it, I guess it's still slow going. I think going back to the social media thing as well, because I found that difficult because I mainly use Instagram and stuff like that. And I remember when you go on Instagram, you've got your own your own things with people posting on your side. And then there's like a search button at the bottom and it comes up with like loads of like things down there. I remember I don't know how it's done this, but I remember when I came out of my unit, it kept on coming up with like really triggering accounts as if accounts that weren't healthy relationships with food or their body and stuff like that and I remember um my mum said oh I heard on the news the other day there's a way of sorting that out so if you see a post like that what I usually do is I unfollowed all the accounts that I thought were toxic that didn't have the point of view that I wanted and if there was any red flags at all even the smallest thing then I would unfollow them. So I cleared out my Instagram account. And then also what I did is I, if one appeared, I clicked on it and I clicked on the top right hand corner and there's see less like this. And I clicked on that. And also if I was really concerned about it, I'd actually use Instagram as something to help other people. So if I saw something which was really bad, I would just report it. And if you click on report, it does have a drop down box for eating disorders. And what it does is, it doesn't tell you who it's come from, but it'll send them resources and it'll also put a thing uh, like a cover on it that lets you know that what's on the picture is has got something on it that's quite upsetting. So it's just letting also using social media as something to help other people as well anonymously, but just go, clearing out your account and noticing if there's any red flags on any accounts you follow. You can also temporarily like hide accounts as well and mute accounts which means you haven't unfollowed them it just means you don't see some of their posts and if you've got a friend who's struggling from it maybe that you've made friends when you can temporarily mute them and they won't know and then you can unmute them anytime but I think in terms of social media and body image I thought it was getting better and then it it was getting better and the body image thing and then it started there was a few things going around in different countries that had made its way over here certain trends and stuff and then um it started getting worse again but I think recently it has started to get better again but I don't know if that's because of what I'm looking at on social media I think it honestly depends on what you've been looking at on social media and what appears on your reel to your viewpoint on social media and eating disorders it's really helpful to know that there are those kind of ways of reducing the impact of it on your feeds In terms of social media, I just wanted to kind of touch on exercise with males. I know that we've not got, unfortunately, any males with us today, but I'm quite aware that, you know, a few years ago there was there was a documentary about Freddie Flintoff and bulimia because he was diagnosed with bulimia. And a lot of that program centred around, you know, cricket. I was just wondering if there are any thoughts around kind of what males might be experiencing in terms of their social media or the kind of things that the exercises that they may be doing or trying what they're trying to achieve I think I've met a few a few boys and a few men that have had eating disorders obviously from being on units and stuff like that so it's not just it's not just bulimia it's anorexia too Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think there's a 
is it like a new eating disorder well it's not new it's always been around it's just never had the label but to do with there's a like an expectation that men have to be muscly or they have to look a certain way and if they're not strong then they're weak so I think toxic masculinity is still there but obviously because I'm a female I I don't know enough about that and because of what I see in my reel is probably different a lot different Mm -hmm. I see female athletes and stuff like that quite a lot on it but I don't see many male athletes because of what I've been looking at but I know from things on social media and obviously the news and stuff like that that there is that gym culture going on at the moment and that pressure for men to be a certain way and it's just I just don't think it's talked about enough and I think to be a man you don't have to look that certain way from a point of view of a female but obviously I can't say about men and stuff like that but from a point of view of a female I don't expect men to be a certain way I don't expect them to be muscly and it's just learning to love the body and talk about their emotions more I wish we all talked about our emotions more and how we feel about our bodies I just think there is a bit of toxic masculinity it's getting better though so there is social media campaigns to open up about it but I think it's still something that's not talked about like male eating disorders I don't think I've heard anyone talk about it at any point to be honest. I think that there's a kind of interesting comparison with the way uh, men socialise and women socialise and this might be a bit sort of uh, just anecdotal but something I've noticed is that you know my female friends are quite when they speak to me or about me they're quite kind and soft and you know choose their words carefully whereas you know, my male friends, um, men that I know, they're they're a bit more jovial and a bit more sort of, they can have a bit of a mean edge and a joke like that because it's very out there and they're fine with it. And I think there's a little bit less of that thinking about how that might impact the person. Like I have friends that, you know, the minute they, if they do gain any weight, the minute they gain weight, their their, uh, male friends start calling them fat or big or talking about it or it becomes part of a joke within their friendship group which then kind of goes on further and further and I don't know about you guys but as as a female I can't imagine my friends starting to do that I think they'd try and avoid saying it at all costs even if it got to a point where it was almost obvious they were trying not to say it whereas I think men can be a bit more upfront with that sort of thing which then kind of shines a light on those insecurities a little bit more and as you say because men can struggle to express when they're feeling a bit uncomfortable or when they do feel like a joke's gone too far they might then just take it on the chin not necessarily talk about it start to really think that way about themselves maybe start to see themselves differently which can kind of I don't know what the word is spiral a little bit or just enhance this already underlying insecurity it's just a sort of random thought I guess but I think it can definitely affect the way people view themselves. I think one of the interesting things from kind of like the sort of the medical kind of diagnostic side in terms of identifying kind of eating dysfunction in sports does anyone remember the um female athlete triad they they called it which was kind of the three diagnostic criteria wasn't it to identify kind of disordered eating behaviors in in sports in in female athletes traditionally I can't remember kind of the the decade that this this came about but it was sort of looking at kind of um low energy availability in the body so the poor or reduced nutritional intake 
um, menstrual dysfunction and bone mineral density um, affected as well. So, um, but uh, more recently, and I say more recently, I don't know if it was the 90s or maybe the 2000s when um, a new um, phrase came in, which was red, so relative energy deficiency in sport. And so that the idea of that was to try and move it away from just seeing this as like a female only issue and actually mm. um you know the physiological um effects on the body manifest in males as well and so the, the, yes still obviously focusing on kind of menstrual dysfunction and bone mineral density but also recognizing the effect on male hormones as well and bone density risks and endocrine endocrine risk and all these other kind of you know physiological effects of you know disordered eating uh, low energy availability in the body um, and overtraining and uh, overexerting as well in sport so I guess from a clinical side of things <clears throat> there is that shift I suppose when we're starting to think about um, seeing these things more in males and and um, I guess again uh, I suppose diagnostically uh, I suppose more awareness now as well um, and I guess there are more referrals coming through into services as well from from males but I think it's a stigma thing isn't it as well and Becca as you were saying that yeah I guess men being able to talk to men about these things it just probably isn't very easy to to do that I mean it probably you know isn't easy for females either but it, it, yeah it's kind of a different sort of relationship isn't it male to male so it's interesting that you say that there's it's almost like a lot of eating disorder sort of conversations and um, understanding to begin with started from a you know cis female uh, outlook of you know thinking about menstruation thinking about those sorts of things when in reality there's you know there's women that don't menstruate there's there's men that do there's so many there's non-binary people that might be affected by eating disorders and there's almost like a whole category of diagnosis that isn't really applying to them and can make you feel a bit sort of not understood or maybe stop you from recognizing that you might have difficulties with eating if you don't fit in that category it's already kind of assigned I guess. I think that's the difficulty as well isn't it with anything kind of clinical in that we do like to put people in boxes don't we when we're trying to make a diagnosis so you look at like diagnostic criteria but you're right I mean if somebody doesn't really fit those boxes how how I don't know how will they feel but also how can they be supportive and what mm. you know how are these kind of things identified then as well so it does it, it makes it so much more complex doesn't it as we kind of get more information we move forward with the times but it's how then to identify the issues as well isn't it so, and um yeah just picking up on what Michelle said about boxes and stuff like that also I think it's worth mentioning as well like to do with boxes too, uh, BMI, it's quite a big talking point, but to the athletes, muscle is more dense and weighs a lot more than, than fat does. And people don't take that into consideration when it comes to BMI and athletes. So I think a lot of them go undiagnosed because obviously athletes are gonna have a higher weight, even though they may have a slimmer build. And I think a lot of it goes unidentified because BMI doesn't take that into consideration and different ethnicities as well. BMI varies by ethnicity too, but that's not taken into consideration. So I think it also a problem to do with athletes and exercise and even people who are just sporty and just, I don't know, not athletes that just, I don't know, go for bike rides quite a lot. 
they might go unidentified for a long time because they don't fit that box. And I thought that was important to mention, really, because I'm quite big on the thing to do with the BMI and to do with putting numbers in, involving them in eating disorder recovery, in that people already have perfectionistic traits, aiming for numbers and allowing certain services. I know that some services and stuff like that have taken away this cap and stuff like that, but a lot of services still have that. I've been told I'm not well enough for a lot of services, so I can't really transfer services and people who are athletic being turned down from services or being told by GPs they're not ill enough but they probably are it's just it, when when is ill enough and being an athlete as well it's not going to show in numbers so I think that was just something I wanted to mention at some point. Yeah I think it's so it's so important to sort of see kind of not see that um you know the BMI criteria in isolation isn't it and uh, you know I think again as we were saying about sort of the medical field we like to categorize and make sense of kind of diagnostic criteria but it's very much about seeing that in a, like a global assessment and and kind of bringing in all the other kind of evidence as well isn't it to, to look at that clinical picture as a whole for somebody um so yeah, I think that's a really valuable point, isn't it, around ethnicity and all the other variables that come into play with with the measure like BMI, and, and like you say, Charlotte, especially in the sporting field where yeah we're looking at kind of different body composition as well in athletes. I think that was interesting as well, Charlotte, when you uh, spoke about boxes as well and thinking about I guess obviously you've got to be a certain weight to be in different divisions and things there, and like obviously when boxes are training for a big fight they might either be cutting or bulking to get to that weight category and you can see how that might then manifest into sort of disordered eating but it feels like it's being masked because that's their job that's their professional that's their sport that's what they're doing there so I guess it's interesting just to touch on that and that it can stem from their profession but that's their job and I suppose how do you go about that like how do you develop that healthy relationship or stop it from becoming more of a thing essentially? I think it's a big problem, like you said before, to the categories to boxing as well, because I know I know a female boxer and stuff like that, and they were professional. However, there's less weight categories for females than males. So there's a lot of disordered eating in that, because obviously people are trying to fit in these weight categories because they're so broad and so wide. And it's about it being normalised in media and females being treated differently. And I remember them talking about it briefly, and I don't think they knew that they were actually talking about someone who's disordered. I think they just thought it was normal to talk about it like that way. And I was sat there thinking, they're talking about people with eating disorders because of the way that the boxing is, because they've got set weight categories, different apart. And I think it's just been normalised, also martial arts as well. So there's a lot of um, and I know that there used to be something to do with that to do with swimming so I know a lot of swimmers who suffer with eating disorders because of the certain coaches the way they treat them but I believe that and gymnastics as well but I believe that there has been light shed on that recently and that is being slowly changed. I was going to say I think um, just adding to that Charlotte I think there's a lot to do with sort of language used isn't there you know within the sporting environment and I'm just thinking about sort of commentary that I've heard you know in on TV various sporting events and comments made on the sort of athletes um, physique 
different word, word descriptive words used to that really probably are inappropriate because it's more sort of focusing on the body um, of that athlete rather than the performance. And I've seen on kind of social media that these particular athletes have hit back on those comments. And I think that's really empowering because as athletes, they've then come out and said, actually, isn't it about the performance? You know, trying to steer away that conversation on on uh, someone looks like this. So therefore, they should be performing like this. And it's more about, you know, the body is the engine and the performance is the performance kind of thing and trying to move away from that language around really focusing on what somebody looks like as opposed to what they're able to do, you know, in their, in their sports performance. So, yeah, so I think language is a big thing, isn't it? And very influential and can be really triggering for people as well. But I think it's really empowering that people are flagging that up and actually trying to steer away you know, and highlight that that kind of language isn't appropriate anymore. Or it never was, was it? But yeah, I think back, back years ago, it was more accepted, wasn't it? But when we look back and think, why did we accept that, you know? I think language as well, like you said, I think it has been flagged in like professional sports and on TV and stuff, but I don't think it's been resolved on like a grassroots level. And it's small things, small little comments. And you think they're small, but they're not. And it's parents and coaches doing it. And they think it's okay to just say these small things and especially about body image and stuff like that. And even the players think it's okay. Sometimes people say stuff which is unhelpful. I've heard all sorts. It's not being solved on a grassroots level. So I think like parents and coaches and stuff like that think it shouldn't be just media addressing it because that's clearly not working it is working in terms of role models however there must be something else going on because I've heard little kids say stuff about about being fat or being a certain weight or stuff like that and I think it's just been normalized too much and I think it needs to be changed from a parent point of view a teacher point of view kind of like even in PE and sports and stuff like that I've heard PE teachers talk about weight before and talk about certain size or making people feel ashamed of the body so I think that needs changing in terms of language and I think there should we should be educated about what kind of language to use especially with young people. So I suppose we spoke a lot about um, that sort of relationship with exercise but as someone either with an eating disorder having that unhealthy relationship or maybe someone who is in that sporting profession that might be going through that sort of disordered eating what do you think would be helpful to get them into a healthy routine with exercise or just thinking about it in that sense? I think obviously as I said before I'm quite big on team sports so maybe picking up social team sports if you want to rebuild that. But make sure you're working. If you've got an eating disorder team, make sure you're on board with them and they know what's going on. And introducing exercise slowly. I know it's really frustrating. I was really frustrated when I had to slowly introduce it. I was like, I want to do more. I love it and stuff like that. And it's like, I can't imagine doing anything else. I got bored by all these craft activities and stuff like that. I couldn't concentrate on them constantly on the go it's just never enough for me and just being patient with it and working with your team to reintroduce it do it in a team setting don't exercise alone I think that's the worst thing you can do even just start off small like going for a walk around the corner or 
because I think some people think that if you're not exercising in a while they're thinking oh no I've got to exercise because otherwise I'll get injured and stuff like that but just small amounts just build it up each day um each week and then don't use exercise as like a compensatory thing like take like a minute every now and again I know I used to do this journal thing every night this you know five minute journal things and just use each day like to reflect on what you've done on the day and reflect on your relationship with exercise I think that's what I did it's like mindfulness is quite good reflecting on wait hang on because it might sneak in again you might think oh you've got a healthy relationship with exercise but noticing when the eating disorder sneaks in because you can have a normal relationship with it have an eating disorder and then a couple of years down the line or a couple of weeks down the line or you might it might creep in it might piggyback on it and you don't even know you just think you just need to like reanalyze all the time I think I think the communicating bit's quite important isn't it around you know if you're recognizing that you're struggling as being able to share that with somebody and if it is at that stage where you're not yet kind of referred to a service or is there anyone you know around you who you feel you can sort of confide in and it might be just sitting down with them and, and kind of as you say Charlotte reflecting on what is happening and what is that relationship like with exercise at the minute you know has that been part of your life prior to what's happening right now or has that just become part you know part of your life because of what's happening right now as well and then I guess it depends for that person on sort of where they're at and are they going to be accessing services as you say so being able to work with that team and come up with a graded plan to sort of reintroduce slowly but I think it's important at that initial stage is to do the risk assessment or you know allow the professionals to do that with you to highlight any risks any red flags any contraindications at that point to exercise because we have to remember if somebody's really really poorly that actually doing any activity at that point could be really really risky on their health so there's definitely that risk assessment part of the process isn't there and then putting those plans in place of how can this be safely done um, in a graded way and I really like what you said there Charlotte about the social bit and team sports and I guess for people that aren't kind of sporty minded but prefer sort of more um, kind of physical activity sort of environments it may be thinking about accessing classes rather than gym environments are they kind of you know going to be more triggering in, in, in that sort of environment and doing some kind of classes and things or doing kind of just social activities with other people so it doesn't really even have to be like a ring fenced exercise session it could be just being out in the countryside and as you say Charlotte be mind using mindfulness being kind of in the moment and enjoying the environment and you know all the other sort of wider benefits of being out and as opposed to focusing solely on kind of the exercise I guess as well. I remember that there is um, if you've not been like referred to a service and stuff like that I remember First Steps ED really helped me. They've also got a blog and they also, I think they've done a few posts recently on like exercise and like people who suffered from it have put like useful advice on it, on their experience on it. And also like you don't need a referral from a medical professional to go under uh, under them. So you can go to support groups. And I think there was, they've, they had an athlete support group at one point. I don't know if it's still running, but um, I think if you've not, got referral to services or you're waiting on the waiting list 
I think there is groups out there and there is support out there. And then also another thing that helped me when I was uh, when I was in the depth of the illness is on on the units they did this group and I remember there was a few things that they said because in did something called psychhead where they tell you about the science behind your body and why you feel certain things and I remember one of the things said to me that some people they think it's compulsive exercise however understanding why you feel a certain way because I remember when you're really ill your body you're in starvation mode so your body will feel even though you're not tired you don't feel tired your body's in adrenaline so I think coming into sports and stuff like that bearing in mind that your body it'll be in fight or flight mode because it will be in starvation mode and you'll feel like you've got all the energy in the world so sometimes your body isn't a reliable source so you might be really ill and you carry on thinking it's okay but I think bearing in mind the science behind your body and that helps a lot to do with sports as well and understanding why you feel a certain way as I remember I struggled very briefly with a, it was quite brief when I was unwell with a unhealthy relationship with exercise but it was very brief and because they educated me scientifically why I was feeling that way it really really helped so I think reading blogs like that like first steps has some good ones I think I'm not sure about I've not read any blogs from Beat but they might do there's a few charities out there that you can get help from without referrals I know not everyone's into reading these stories and stuff but even even if your parent or your guardian or a friend if you get them to read it maybe they might be able to understand and help you yeah I think that's really really helpful to be fair about thinking about you know what else is out there what other support is available for for service users um, especially whilst they're on the waiting list so thank you for for sharing that thank you very much for um for both of you joining us today it's been a really informative discussion so hopefully it's provided some really good insight for our listeners so thank you very much for joining us Bye.